You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic centimeter density now what this means is it is it's 22 percent higher than standard tungsten and 56 percent higher than lead so it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances it has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, Steve and I sit down with Mr. Lee Currens. And Steve, you and Lee have had a relationship for several years, been friends for a long time, have have not only been to events together, but you've shared parts of your life together uh, with some common friends. And, and you were talking during, it was after the recording was off, but it was um, still important. And you were talking, we were talking about the relationships that people build along the way and, and how important that is for our, to our lifestyle and, and the hound hunting community. And I kind of wanted to try to recapture some of that. Yeah, Chris, for sure. You know, that that's gets down to the bone, so to speak, with me about this houndsman lifestyle is the friends that I've made over the years. And certainly Lee Curran's is one of those that that's really special. And of course, I've done podcasts with Nubbin Moore, who's also a very close friend. And there's there's several guys like that that I've been fortunate to to get to spend time with and maybe it's because of our ages or whatever but we've just had a bond you know and and that is really the heart of this whole thing for me because the times that are shared with these people it go it it supersedes the hounds really the hounds are the center of how we got together and and we always do talk dogs when we are together Mm -hmm. But it's just that camaraderie, that kinship, and it becomes almost like family, really, 
some of the guys, and we're going to get into some of that yeah. with Lee today and, and talk about the relationships with some of our mutual friends and, and the fun times we've had. So I think, you know, I, I would just hope that the younger listeners to Houndsman XP would kind of get this, you know, and, and try to reach out to their friends and make, you know, these kinds of bonds because we, they are the lasting things. We get uh, a lot of mail, email, text messages, messenger. We get a lot of correspondence from people about, you know, how do you do this with a hound? Or could you have somebody could tell me how to do this with, with the hound? And that's all mm-hmm. good stuff. But I think it as you get older, you touched on it, but you start reflecting on the things that are most important about this. And... I would say that the most important thing you can do for your hound is make relationships, build relationships with people that you can go out and share experiences with. And that is what this whole podcast really is about. We talked about hounds and, and there's some very historical noteworthy hounds that, that are mentioned in this podcast. But the thing that touched me the most was the parts about mentoring and building relationships and and the stories that went around that family based i mean it was just it was an awesome conversation well i think so too chris and i'm i'm sure that our listeners are going to enjoy lee uh he's got a warm personality he's a funny guy he uh and he he's a smart guy was an engineer yeah. in his career and uh just just so many things to say about him just the many facets of of a of a houndsman's life that we covered it was a great interview it really was i really enjoyed it and uh before we get that that interview though i want to talk real quickly about our patreon page uh there's one thing that's on fire around here at houndsman xp and that's that patreon account people are piling in on that on that thing and we're we're building our our patreon patrons we're we're building an audience there we want to say thank you to every person who has agreed to come on and sponsor houndsman xp podcast uh and what we're trying to do here it's bring you interviews like this it's bring you interviews about sportsman's alliance entertainment education and we want to make sure that uh we, we just want to say thank you to all our, our patrons out there that are that are supporting us. For sure, Chris, for sure. It's so, so important, so gratifying to see people that will step up and say, you know, we appreciate we don't you know, we can't uh, break the bank here, but we can we can join it at a level that's uh, comfortable to us. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and just let. Uh, Houndsman XP know that we appreciate what you're doing and you know that that's very gratifying yep it sure is and and to let you get everybody know we're touching on this on on social media and we're trying to to promote it and let you know exactly what we're doing with that but we want to be able to bring you the highest quality interviews we can we want to be able to go to our guests or bring them to us um we want to be able to get capture those interview with the highest quality sound, but we also want to, another big thing that we haven't talked about a lot is we're going to continue to support organizations like Freedom Hunters. Mm. And that is a very gratifying thing that we do. And um, you can find everything you know about Freedom Hunters by going to our website 
at houndsmanxp.com, clicking on on partnerships, and you'll get a whole thing about Freedom Hunters and a link to their website. And you can find out how you can become involved by sponsoring a veterans hunt. Jared Moss has done that. Uh, Limberlost Coon Hunters here in Indiana has hosted a, a, a veterans event. And of course, we took a Gold Star family member on a, a, a mountain lion hunting adventure. And we're going to continue to do those things and support organizations like Freedom Hunters. But um, I just talked to Anthony recently, and um, the whole pandemic thing is affecting everybody, and and he's no different. So if you've got if you've got the ability, go to Freedom Hunters, and uh, their their major fundraisers are being canceled due to the the current situation in the United States with gatherings and things like that. They could really use your help right now. So. Personally, I would rather you go there and support Freedom Hunters right now than than uh, support the Patreon. But if you can afford to do both, do both. That's right, Chris. Nothing more gratifying than to see the work that's being accomplished by Freedom Hunters. And from anybody that served in the military, had a family member that served, a good friend, whatever, that appreciates the sacrifices that our veterans and our active duty military and so forth make for us and for our country uh, will certainly want to become a part of the Freedom Hunters effort. It, it's it's truly amazing what those guys are doing. Yep, yep, super easy. I mean, all you got to do, mm. so so simple. And if you have any questions, we won't get into all of it. I can lay out the plan right here, but, but uh, send us a message or go to our website, houndsmanxp.com. Look for partnerships page and Freedom Hunters is right there and you can get direct contact with them. Well said. Well, Steve, we've talked plenty about what's going to happen. So let's get this interview up and show them what's going to (laughs) happen. It sounds good. It's a wild ride. I hope you folks (laughs) enjoy it. Yeah, it goes, it goes a lot of different directions, but it's fun. All right, here it is. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, and we've got a great show for you lined up this week. We've got a legend in the in the coon hunting game, and somebody that's worked hard for a number of years. And Steve, you got the you got our guest lined up for us today, and uh, I'm pretty much just going to sit back and try to referee this. I don't know if it's ringleader, conductor of the train, or like referee at a youth basketball game i'm not sure what we're getting into here <laughs> sound like a little let's, league hope it, basketball. let's hope it's better let's hope it's better than referees at little league basketball game <laughs> <laughs> the voice you we just might... heard is uh mr lee currens and uh steve i'm going to sit back and and let you introduce mr currens and and uh you've got a long long standing relationship with him and uh it's all yours buddy hey well this is ex- especially exciting for me today to have my buddy Lee Kearns on our program. Uh, (laughs) Lee and I joke about our age and all, but we do go back a long time. And, uh, but we have a lot of memories and a lot of fun times. And uh, Lee's a guy that, uh, you know, I, 
we all have a special circle of friends. I think we have a broad circle of people that we know across the country and we're always glad to see them. And that's particularly true in this hound game as you travel around and you always meet new people and, and they become friends, but the old friends, as they say, are the best ones. And Lee and I have been friends for many years. Lee, how long have we known each other? Do you have any idea? Uh, in the mid eighties or 85, 86. Yeah. Uh, I got into back full time, I guess, into showing and hunting the dogs. I mean, I've hunted them all my life, but the competition part took a, a, a slowdown when the family was, uh, you know, busy with little league and outside things. But eighty mid eighties. Yeah, that would have been in my UKC days, and I probably met you at one of the major events, I would imagine, maybe Grand American or yeah. or Autumn Oaks or one of those. Because you've always been right there in the thick of things in those big events, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on today, Lee. There, there's just so many things that we could talk about, and uh, eventually we're going to get around to talking about our mutual friends and the, the times that we've had getting together with them and all. But I wanted uh, to to set this up just a little bit for our listeners. Lee has been a major player on the uh, in latter years on the in the bench show arenas of all the major shows around the country, the Coonhound shows with his train walkers. But there's a side of Lee that a lot of people don't know, and this is something that I know we'll drill down into today, is the hunting side of things and how that's really the, the core of who who our guest is today. But, Lee, I want you to tell us a little bit about your, your um, beginnings back there in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, on the family farm and, and your, your brothers and, and your, your sports activities. Just, just lay all that out for us a little bit. Well, see, like you say, I, I went to a small school. There was, a uh, all eight grades, 12 grades, actually at the same school, which no one has today. And, uh, I played sports. We had, uh, Actually, we had a basketball team and we had a uh, fast pitch softball. A lot of the schools back then didn't have baseball; only a few of the other bigger schools. And I, I participated in each. Uh, I always thought it was pretty good, and I don't think a lot of people did. But uh, you know, and then I was raised up on a farm. We had farm dogs like. Most everybody did in those days, and and I, seven eight years old, I would be gone at night or daytime whenever I had a chance. I was in the woods. I did not uh, sit at the house. I was either out shooting basketball, or my parents knew I was gone. And and it, it hasn't changed. I still have the same desire to go at my age. I've been told I shouldn't be in the woods, and so I, I don't go. But that's basically the way I started. I, I told you that uh, before my dad had a dairy and uh, he had registered Jersey cattle and they were actually registered. We tattooed deer to match their, uh, their restoration number and I got into the 4-H and FFA at a young age showing these cattle and, and believe it or not, uh, the preparing to show a cow the same as preparing to, to
to show a dog, really. We kept them in the barn the daytime, the ones we were showing. Uh, we didn't want their, their color all bleached out and everything. And nighttime, they were out in the pasture. But daytime, the, cattle, the, the ones that I was showing stayed in the barn. And, you know, we gave them a bath before the show, take the hose and wash them down. And it was, uh, and then it just broke over as I got off the farm to my dogs, showing them. And I guess I just had that wheel to compete. And my dad wanted all registered cattle, cows, and he kept the bloodlines up. And it, it just came on over to, I know, to, to the dogs for and when you get married and have a house and lot, you don't have many cows to show. <laughs> well, let's go back to the basketball just a little, little bit. And I know you're being really modest about that, but talk to me about <laughs> your bas- playing basketball. And and I know you're a, 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 I would say avid, but it's probably more of a rabid Kentucky fan, Wildcat uh, right. fan. And, uh, but talk, talk uh, that's a side that interests me about, how you played sports back in those days. Let's talk well, about that I, a little I, bit. I, I, I was in the sixth grade, like I said, of the 12th grade school. Now, actually, my junior and senior year, they built a new school, and we consolidated a bunch of these smaller schools. And, and I was in the sixth grade, and we had phys ed and in the gym, and, and one of the coaches wanted me to play on the – seventh eighth grade team they called it the grade team they were seventh and eighth graders so i actually started in the sixth grade and uh steve i played through the whatever group i was in be the elementary school or the the, uh, next level up which they call back then the b team b team a team i never participated in a game i didn't start so as a sixth grader, I was starting on a seventh, eighth grade team, and uh, uh, we'd have elementary schools that have tournaments, all the county schools. And uh, then my freshman year, I was scared to death. I wasn't going to make the varsity. I was going to still be on the, the the B team, so to speak. But uh, the day of the game, coach told me that. Uh, You'll be starting tonight, and that's <laughs> kind of like winning the uh, Autumn's Oak, you know, when someone that young. <laughs> when you're a freshman, you, starting yeah, on the Yeah, when you're a freshman in school, yes, and there was some controversy, but the parents of the older uh, kids um, saying, you know, hey, you got this kid out there playing, and my son been playing two or three years. Well, that's just like everything else. You, you, you play to win, and I know that one game – two or three games into the season, I put the third game, actually. Uh, all this bickering was going on, and I didn't know it, but I could hear it on the sidelines and, and things. So the coach turned me loose, and I scored 23 points in the first quarter. I was <laughs> nine for nine from the field and five foul shots. I never missed a shot. We were up 27 to, I think it was nine, and I started the second quarter, scored four points. He took me out the rest of the half. <laughs> I said, I guess that made a statement. You know? 
<laughs> and I never had another, I never had, we never had another issue with who's starting, you know, <laughs> or, 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 or whatever. That and then, settled that. <laughs> yeah. And then my freshman, my sophomore year, which then I was, my freshman year, I was, you know, somebody to fill in, I know. But uh, we were playing uh, uh, the team in, in Garrett, in Garrett County. And, uh, I scored thirty-five points in the first half. And now you were a guard. You were a, like a point guard, right, or a shooting guard? We um, didn't have we didn't have point guards back right. then. We had two guards and two forwards and a center. You know that the thing has revolved just like coon hunting has from those days to now. All sports has. You know, we got Michael Jordan just did the reruns on him here, and, and every time he took off, he walked. Back then, you had to dribble the ball. You couldn't run down the floor and flip it behind your back. And and it, it, just the way things are, it has changed, you know. And I wasn't big, and I wasn't fast, and I could shoot. And, and you know, it, it to, to tie basketball into coon hunting, don't tell me how good your dog is. How many coons can you treat? You know, that's, that's the way we based it. In we had day. an old saying, don't tell me about the labor, just show me the baby, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you can't shoot my, to this day, I believe this, you can't play ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hear these announcers now, I heard one watching a replay and, and here and Kentucky was playing Arkansas and a couple of Arkansas players in foul trouble and, and, and it, what did the, the intelligent announcer say? Well, where's the scoring going to come from now for Arkansas? Well, hell, you got five out there. None of them can shoot. They shouldn't have been there anyway. <laughs> and tell me, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, buddy. That's for sure. Well, what about then? So you went through school, I guess, played ball all the way. Did you consider playing ball in college? No, I did. Yes, I did. And I was recruited and everything. But it wasn't like it is now. I didn't want to. Um, I, di- I didn't want to go to school. Actually, I didn't finish college till I was in my 30, 30, I think 34 when I, I, I finished up and, uh, this all happened. I was uh, working, actually I'd been, I worked 10 years at Square D. Then I went as a supervisor to Bendix Corporation. I know you've heard of them. Auto light frame. Oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah. Bendix is the largest uh, manufacturer of engines in the world. Worthy, and I don't know where they are now. And uh, the plant manager came down, sat on my desk. At that time, I moved up to a general supervisor. He came down and he sat on my desk and said, "You going back to school?" I said, "I'm not going to school. I got three kids. You know, well, man, you're crazy." And so they picked up the two issues and. I I come to work at eight o'clock. Would go to school and have classes, and come back and close out my shift at work. And three years, I had, uh, you know, I finished up. And and it it don't it don't matter how smart you are, but if you got a piece of paper, you can always fool people. <laughs> if, if if you know if you know where I'm coming from, and I got the piece of paper and. It led me a few years later, uh, uh, Michelin Tire Company was in Lexington recruiting, and uh, I got a phone call 
Would I be interested in uh, coming to work? I didn't know Mr. Maytard's in the U.S. So with, uh, I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll listen. And I did. And in 1980, we moved to South Carolina. Uh, actually, the anniversary is coming up in a, a few days here, the day after Memorial Day. I started and uh, uh, there I, I can't get into a lot of things at Michelin because I've signed a lot of paperwork, you know, to oh, sure. for privacy exactly. and stuff like that. But uh, I, they made molds in France for all the tires and they were starting up a department to, to build the molds here. And I went into that uh, with the, you know, feeds and speeds and all the technical stuff of machining to, to manufacture the molds and took us about uh, seven years to get through that, to get the molds up and going. And then I went into corporate uh, engineering. Well, I was working with the corporate then, but I never worked in the plants. I went to the plants, you know. So how long were you with Michelin then? Yeah. 21 years. I see. And you retired. And of course that entailed a move to South Carolina. But Correct. let's go yeah, right. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, tell us real briefly about your family, you and Shirley, and uh, and your and your boys. You have four boys, well, right? I have four boys. I told you once about this, but uh, uh, I met Shirley in uh, nineteen and fifty-eight. Uh, it was uh, Easter Sunday, and some of my friends I went to school with and played ball with. We were hanging out in Harrodsburg. She lived in Lebanon. And, uh, hey, we met these girls down, you know, the old story. It's Friday night at some place down there. Let's go to Lebanon. I go to Lebanon, and she was driving her, her aunt's car. Her her aunt and uncle raised her. And uh, it was a 55 Chevrolet. It was a, a pink, I called it, in gray. And we talked, and let's go to the movies. Well, I said four hours <laughs> watching the Ten Commandments with a girl I just met that I thought was gorgeous, and I'm in a damn theater watching the Ten Commandments four hours. Well, that's a way to start off a relationship right there. You might as well lay down the law right from the beginning. This past, this past, this past Easter, we're so old, we sat on the, her on one couch, me on the other, and watched Ben Hur for four hours. <laughs> Does she, I think she had something for Charlton Heston. <laughs> so, yeah, so nothing changed. <laughs> nothing changed. <laughs> but anyway, awesome. we, we were blessed. And sometimes I say blessed with four sons, Lenny, and, and then Lee Jr., which everybody knows that Benny. He was known as Penny all the way through school, still is, uh, and Kevin and Todd. And uh, Penny now is handicapped. He had, you know, Steve had a massive stroke uh, two years this summer. Uh, Lenny is, uh, works for uh, Gregory Electric, and so does Kevin. They both work, they're both electricians. Uh, and then Todd has Crohn's, and he had to retire from the uh, I think about 20 years, 19 years at the sheriff's office. He worked as a deputy sheriff here in Greenville County. So you have, and how many grandchildren do you and Shirley have? I got six. I see. Okay. I got two that's not married and uh, three 
Well, no, I got three that's not married. I better not forget JT. And three <laughs> that are married, and I have five uh, great grandchildren. Uh, well, that's awesome. Well, you and uh, Shirley also. Op- well, I'm sorry. Well, we'll be married 62 years in uh, uh, November. Yeah. She's a saint, Chris, I tell you. Well, she'd have to be, right? (laughs) Put up with four boys plus the biggest kid of all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and we we have a a relationship that's sort of uh, different, I guess. Uh, She knew I hunted. Uh, I always told her, look, if you got something you want to do this weekend or any night, you let me know. If not, I might be going on. <laughs> and and I never turned her down. She said, I want to go to wherever this coming weekend. We went. Yeah, but, that's, uh, a, that's but, a formula for success right there, Leah, that a lot of guys, I think, forget. You know, they get so wrapped up in yeah. this hunting thing that the whole world – uh, you know, revolves around hunting and we forget that those people that really mean more to us than anything else in the world, uh, have to take second fiddle to uh, play second fiddle to that. Well, you know, um, there was a really funny story, uh, that about while we're on your family, while we're on your family there real quick. And then I want to move into these, uh, hunting and these hounds and so forth. But the story about your son, Penny and his friend or whatever, catching the coons and uh drying the drying the hides and 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 that. yeah buddy <laughs> i'm glad she's not in this room and hear me talk about it again or she'd start all over <laughs> yes that that yeah and, and that was an experience those two kids will never forget and the, the young man kenneth that was with him uh was a a, a single mom and uh he he became a friend to Penny's forever. He wasn't exactly the, the most popular kid in the country, uh, because, I guess because of finances and things, but Penny loved him and he took care of him and wherever Penny went, you know, hunting or whatever, uh, Kenneth was with him and I admired Penny for that forever. Uh, you know, well, the, probably the only friend the young man had was Penny. Well, that, you know, sometimes we can find friends like that. I had one myself in high school and in my early mm-hmm. college days named Chuck. And Chuck had some some learning uh, issues, and mm-hmm. he was a real big kid, so his size made him stand out kind of, you know. And, and he didn't have many friends, but, man, did he love to coon hunt. And uh, he and I would hunt together a lot. And so, But tell us that story about those coon hunts. I, I I want you to share uh, that. Well, Penny was coming 16 years old and 15, and and Kenneth lived on the same uh, road we lived on. We uh, lived in the country, and and uh, I told him, I said, boy, it's co- the, the fur then, it was somewhere around 74, 5, 76. I'm not very good with dates, but I could add it up in a hurry. It doesn't matter. And I said, we, 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 you guys can have the fur, we'll hunt, you can do whatever, and, but you're not going to take but one coon out of a tree. You're not just going out and slaying coons. And so they had accumulated a pretty good pile of coons. And 
I'd let them go by themselves. They'd ride their bikes down to the river, and then I'd go pick them up in a couple hours if I had something to do. But anyway, they had probably 40, maybe more coon hides. And we'd put them, you know, we'd roll them up in a bread bag and put them in the freezer. Well, it was a it was 27th of December, but we, we had to shut down at the plant, but I usually had to work. And I called Penny. I said, you get those coon hides. It was 9 to 10 o'clock in the morning. And thaw them out. And, you know, you couldn't sell them froze. They had to be thawed. Well, they get them out, and they had coon hats scattered all over the house. They even put some in the microwave to defrost them. <laughs> and it was, it was at least 90 degrees in that house. And can you imagine the smell? And I come home about 30 minutes before <laughs> Shirley got off and work, got home. And I'd already called her and told her we had to go to Rush Shirley, Indiana to sell them. There was no dealers in Kentucky. And my God, when I got home, I am said, I said, boys, you better get all the doors open and get those dang coon eyes out of this house. <laughs> and they were everywhere. <laughs> they had uh, 11 fox hide that they, they had gotten. They had five muskrats and whatever coon hides it was. And we threw them in the truck and we, I had a, a Ford truck and we put some of them in the floorboard on the heater to get them thawed out. The ones that were having trouble getting thawed out going up there. But it was a, it, it was not a pleasant place around our house when mama got there. Oh uh, yeah. Well, there's Lee, it it would be a, a special. Story. I got to throw in a story real quick. It would quick be a... that that's sure. similar to that. Uh, just to give you, I think every boy goes through that because we had a. Um, my grandparents lived in o- Ohio, and um, there was a fur buyer and a trapping supply store over there, close to where they lived in Lebanon, Ohio. And, uh, uh, I'd been on in my, in my fur fishing game and I, I looked through all these ads and I found this, this trapping supply company right there close to grandma's so I could get my supplies and we could do it in a trip when we were going over there for a holiday meal. And it was about a two and a half hour ride over there and back. And, and, uh, so I got, I got the idea and we're, we're riding in a, like a 1986 wood sided Capri station wagon, country classic station wagon. There's six kids, mom and dad, all crammed in this station wagon. And I decided I needed some fox urine to make sure that I could I could catch catch foxes. And we stopped on the way back, and then we rode for two and a half hours. And you couldn't get the smell out of that car. And everybody was gagging and puking. Dad was mad. We were all and what a mess! What a mess! So I can. I've contributed. <laughs> I've been the contributor to a story just like you told. Yeah. Well, you my, know, Chris, my wife. Oh, go ahead. My wife has a note. I mean, she'd come in the house and, boy, this house stinks. You know, I can't smell nothing. And, 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 and but we, we had, we had a, like you said, it's a pretty good trip to, to Rushville, Indiana. Yeah. And I'd called a guy. I called a guy and we didn't get there till nine or 10 o'clock. And, and, uh, uh, he sorted, went through the fur and gave you so much for this pile and so much for that pile as they do. Then he got in the fox and, and he, he said, I'll give you $50 a piece for the 11 fox. That's $550 for those kids, you know? And then 
pulled out the muskrats and he turned one of them out and he said, I'll give you, I don't know, two or $3 to bees for the rats. And, and, uh, they got their money and got their check. He gave them a check and we start out from the house and, and from the guys shared a little shop and them boys are just laughing. And I said, what the heck are y'all laughing about? And, and they finally, they told me, said, well, we trapped one of those muskrats, and that was the one the guy looked at. But he said that we shot the other four with shotgun off the <laughs> bank of the farm pond over there. And I said, that ain't going to work, boys. So we turned the truck around, went back, and I told the guy, I said, I didn't know it, but they shot. He said, oh, forget it. That's all right. <laughs> but they, they were just cracking up laughing. But anyway, when I got home, it was after midnight back to the house and I walked in the door and that smell was still there from those coon hides. It was, I don't know how, I don't know how it's Kevin and Todd and, and Shirley slept in that house, but it was terrible. We had to fumigate that house for days. <laughs> hey, Chris, we ought to do an episode on the sights and sounds of coon hunting. Cause I, <laughs> all of us, you know, there's so many stories that could, spin off of this but that, that's oh, yeah. that's a great yeah. story well you know let's talk about your hunting there and how you started out there hunting on kentucky river and i think mainly with your brother jake but that we've talked yeah. about in the past but just kind of let's go down that road well yeah most everybody knows me know that well jake since passed away but he was 18 years older than i and he was more like my father than now, my father was great to us, but Jake was more active, could do more things. My dad was getting up in his 60s, and, and, and you know, when you get 60, you're kind of like I am, not not very much. But uh, whatever dog they had running loose around the house, and Jake had hound dogs and of some nature. They they were cur dogs, what we call today, and I'd just take off and go tree a possum somewhere, daytime squirrels or shoot groundhogs and things like that. And I, uh, then as I got on up old enough, I was 13, 14 years old. I would drive my dad's farm truck. He had a 49 international pickup, I guess you'd call it. And nobody hardly had pickups in that days had cattle racks on it. I put my dogs in there and I'd drive anywhere five or six miles over to Kentucky river and go over and go hunting. Mm. And I thought nothing about it. I had no driver's license, but I drove a darn truck everywhere. And uh, I'd hunt by myself, or, or I had several friends that, you know, as your kid would go hunting with you to, to to go hunting, and it just went from there on up. None of those dogs were anything, but they were tree dogs. We you had to train them to tree. You know, the difference in then and now is then we had to train dogs to tree. We get dogs at a dog pound. Somebody have a at the dog pound have a houndy looking dog. He'd call my brother and say, "Come down." One of the best dogs we ever got, we got out of the pound, ever had, and including today. And I, you know, I, I would I would hunt, and uh, I told you once, Steve, here before. I, I remember uh, my dad bought the farm that we retired on in '48. That made me uh, nine years old. And uh, Jake and I, I was living in South Carolina one dinner. We had right to hunt on the place, and 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 we were hunting. And I said, "Darn, do you know?" I hunted all these branches and by myself and creeks and 
had to get up in the morning, and my dad had a dairy then, and go help feed cows and everything before I went to school. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, you were about nine years old when you moved from here. And I remember that on that farm, my mom had a little bitty single shot, 410 shotgun, lightweight. And I remember going hunting with that shotgun by myself, squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, with that shotgun by myself before I was 10 years old. And and they would be put in jail now and, and the keys thrown away for letting kids do that. But that's the way it was. I wasn't the only one. <clears throat> Pardon me, but from there on, uh, uh, I wound up getting a, a another dog. I don't, I don't even remember where it was a spotted county looking dog that made a nice tree dog, got run over on the road. That was my first experience with the traffic. And then uh, whatever Jake had, he had a the dog I was telling you about, he got my dog found. And I had a nephew that's four years older, uh, younger than I, and uh, me and him were gone hunting. I mean, we were, I'd drive up and pick him up. He lived four or five miles from us, and and, and we never, I never, till I was 40 years old and moved to South Carolina, I never asked anybody permission to hunt. I just thought it was something you're supposed to do. Nobody cared. It, yeah. What a change it is it. today, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, because they were all farmers and everything, and they knew my dad's stroke, and I guess got used to me running through their fields and hunting and everything. Uh, sure. But I, I, that got me into it, and like I said, I uh, then got on in. Everybody was starting the night hunts as I'd gotten married, and, and uh, uh, you know, right on. My my favorite nights to hunt was Monday and Thursday because we played basketball on Tuesday and Friday, and the coach had a curfew. You better not be seen on the streets after ten o'clock. Well, I wasn't on the streets; I was in the woods <laughs> those nights. <laughs> you, know, you know that. You set, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> that just set me up terrific there because now I got something to do on Monday and, and Thursday night. You know, that kind of brings up something to me real quick that I'll throw in here, Chris, and I don't know if this was your experience or not, but, you know, with Facebook now, I'm, I've reconnected with a lot of kids that I went to uh, high school with. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we I went to a big high school. Uh, uh, we had over 400 in our graduating class, and I knew a lot of these kids, you know, and they'd see me at school, and we'd do different things together and stuff, but uh, you know, my hunting was something I did all all through high school, and these people don't, you know, they can't relate to me doing that because they didn't have any idea that I was doing those things. You know, I mean, sure. I, yeah. I I was yeah. out on Friday and Saturday nights with my dad, and I don't know what mm-hmm. they were doing. You know, some of them were were probably uh, we didn't have drugs or anything like that back then, but we did. You know, kids are always teenagers. They like to get out and party a bit and stuff. But you know, and it was like a, a a thing that I did, but I didn't really advertise it. And I don't know why. I wasn't ashamed of it. This sounds uh, just like, no, me too. This sounds like a typical coon hunter story right here. About you're trying to tell us that you went to a high school in West Virginia that graduated 400 people all at one time. 
Yes. <laughs> Isn't that a That's like an annual deal for West Virginia. You take the whole state and they don't have 400, 400 graduates. I was going to say... I was going to say he must have graduated three or four times. <laughs> hey, man, we were in a hub there. We won't hold that against Virginia. you, Steve. We won't hold that against you. We won't yes. hold that against you. All right. Well, I understand. You know, well, we learned yeah, to sum and cipher. Just, yeah, they taught us three things, the three R's, reading, writing, and Route 21 to Cleveland. That was the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I just watched uh, Jeff Foxworthy thing last night after uh, all the other comedian things and it, it's okay you might be a redneck that's fine. Yeah, well, I might be that. <laughs> might be a redneck. No might about that. No <laughs> might about that. Well, look, okay, uh, talk about the Kentucky River and that region. And you know, I uh, grew up over there in the hills of West Virginia and read the magazines and all the coon hunting was going on in Kentucky and Ohio and Illinois and places mm-hmm. like that. You know, I remember first time I went coon hunting in Kentucky, uh, at, to an event there it was around Georgetown and hunting on those big, beautiful horse farms. And that was like Disney world to me, but talk about, you know, the Kentucky river hunting and, and all that, that that's interesting to me. Well, something to relate to is back then in the 50s and 60s. If you wanted to tree a coon in, in central Kentucky, uh, you had to go to Kentucky River, one of the rivers. And it was rough. There there was rock ledges. I know that from time to time, uh, uh, to get to the next level, you almost had to climb a tree to get to the uh, over the ledges. And these dogs were different because these the, the coon escape route a lot of times was up a tree and out on the ledge and gone again and they'd leave dogs treat on on the uh, tree that they went up obviously to get out and some of these dogs several of them uh, that's why you needed smart dogs they knew the difference for some way and would work their way around the, the, the ledge and, and and get up it, it was rough it had corn bottoms uh uh, a lot of corn raised in there, and uh, and and the thing, if you uh, know the flow of the river with all the ledges and things, one side would be up against the, the rock cliff, so to speak, and the other side would be an open bottom. And then, as you, the, when it made the next turn, I guess over years, uh, the the flow of the water would turn back to towards the the rock ledge part. And you'd have maybe quarter mile, half a mile of corn in those bottoms, and it was perfect hunting. And they had all kinds of getaways under those rock ledges, and and a lot of big timber in there, and a huge timber, and 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 I guess timber that probably still hadn't been cut. You couldn't get it out if you tried hardly. But uh, we would hunt those places, and and. Uh, uh, boy, it was a treat for me as a young kid, someone to take me to Kentucky River to, to hunt. You know, we treat coon over there. We treat possums here on the farms. And, mm. and boy, can you imagine 13, 12, 13, 14 years old? <clears throat> Jake saying, we're going on tonight. Yeah, I thought, you sure? And uh, where are we going? Let's go over to, we had different names for all of them, Bowman Woods and Polly's Bend and McCown's Ferry, there was a ferry down there that we hunted. That was the name of those places. And 
people in Mercy still know where they are. I'm pretty sure. But uh, they that was that was that was hunting in style there. It was rougher neck too. Uh, what kind of equipment? Right. What kind of equipment? What kind of equipment did you have back then? Uh, twenty-two single shot and a two-cell flashlight or carbide light. Some I could never could stand the smell of those things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, uh, then we we got real smart and we got these PR12 bubs and we start putting extensions on these uh, two-cell flashlights to make them brighter and longer and put a dog leash around them, tie them around your back. I'd sometimes six or seven battery flash, uh, you know, D batteries in, in one light. And that was the only equipment we had, buddy. And, and there <laughs> wasn't no waders and knee boots and all that stuff, you know. Yeah, I didn't get my first pair of hip boots even until I moved to Michigan in 1983. That might be hard to believe, but, uh, uh, you know, of course, that's before Wick invented the frog legs, you know. it's I got to throw this in because it was funny to me. You talk about that slinging that that long flashlight over Mm -hmm. your shoulder. And that's what most people carried back in those days. And you can see. Yeah, it had a big big head on it like a, a copper. It was a copper uh, 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 reflector head, or, or yeah, headlight on a car. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Well, I went to a hunt one night up in eastern Ohio, and there was a big hunt up there called the Southeastern uh, Ohio Championship. And uh, the first trophy that I won in the night hunt, I won sixth place up there with a with a mm-hmm. plot dog. And, but I remember going out on a hunt one night with a guy. Now, think about this. This is before anything like a hound sounder or, or walker's game sure. ear or any of these amplifying devices to help your hearing. This guy mm-hmm. was on the cast, and he had it, w- it was made of aluminum, but it looked like a bell. And it was probably 24 inches across the the open side of this bell and i think it was a horn or something that came out of a factory this thing i'm not kidding you it was probably um what's that diameter 24 inches 18 to 24 inches and then it had it came back like a funnel it looked like a big funnel and he had a a dog chain (laughs) riveted to the the mouthpiece i mean the up the small end and the big end and he had that slung over his back and he would put that up to his ear (laughs) to hear his dog and when he's going (laughs) through the woods you can hear this chain clang 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 (laughs) i thought that was kind of kind of unique some of the things i don't i Forgive me, guys, for going down that rabbit path. But that, when you talked about the guy having that thing slung over his back, that that came to mind. Well, let's talk about. Uh, I know that the dogs that you hunted with, at some point in time, I guess through Jake, you got involved in registered Walker dogs. How, well, how did that involve? I had a registered Walker dog before Jake did. Actually, uh, mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to get a, a female. Her name was Belle, or just plain old Kentucky Belle. And she was 10, 11 months old at the time. And 
she really became a nice dog. Uh, uh, she was the first dog I ever remember in Central Kentucky being a dual champion. I made her a night champion and a show champion, which was hard to do back then. Uh, we're not talking about three or four dogs at hunt. We're talking 60 or 70 a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the shows would be um, um, 40, 50 dogs in the shows. And, and they'd even have a grade show and a grade hunt. A lot of times there'd be more dogs in the grade hunt show than there was in the registered back then. The registered was the elite. I mean, in the early 60s, uh, you're probably not old enough to be around then, but that's how the hunts got started. Just We had a tobacco warehouse at Art Roberts. You may remember Art Roberts was a plot guy yeah, uh, and an auctioneer there in Kentucky. <clears throat> and we'd have a hunt in that old tobacco warehouse. And, and the, the dogs that would show up, we're great dogs. That's what they had. Well, a five dollar entry fee for the club. We don't care what you're on. <laughs> and, and more, more great dogs were, were entered, and and it, it eventually changed. Then up until the later early seventies, I guess it was. Um, hardly a great dog ever showed up. They'd have a hunt, but there would hardly be any. And that's the way it just evolved from registered dog because everybody wanted a registered dog to be important you know don't give it to his gun or not i want a registered dog and, and that's the way that happened but i hunted a, a, a story different from that i had a, a red bone female red bone in color and and uh, she got bred by the jake's dog the one we got my dog found so you know how much coon dog we had behind those and she had uh, five puppies. I gave one to the athletic director at school, and another one, uh, two, two of them I gave to my nephews. Don't remember what I did with the other one. I had one I couldn't give away, a little black, ugly thing. And my wife was uh, pregnant with Lenny, and I got a picture of her kneeled down out in the grass in the front yard, and he was probably six, seven weeks old, and we named him Digger. She did. Where the name come from, I don't know. But he may be the best hound I ever owned in my life. And we lived in a farm, uh, on a farm, farmhouse, and nobody had air, air conditioning. They had the screen doors open and everything. And she and that dog cut a hole in the screen door so he could go in and out. <laughs> that sounds like and my I, house. And I would... I would go hunting on Kentucky River or any of the rivers, and she knew every hunting spot because we didn't have tracking equipment and everything. I'd lose a dog. He'd be out looking for a coon. We didn't. You run two or three coon tracks a night. You had a good night. And my wife would get my sister, and they would go get him the next morning. I would lay something out of the truck or something, a car. I would hunt out of a truck, hunt out of a car. And and my wife and sister go get the dog the next morning. Uh, that's how important he was to the family, and he was that way. <clears throat> and this is a story I know that you would like to have, Steve. Uh, we had bought a house in town. I mean, we were uptown now. We we're big time. I'm working for Square D, making dollar sixty two an hour, and uh, had a dog house in the backyard, and and Jigger stayed in the dog house. 
as all dogs were back then. We didn't have a kennel at that time. Well, my sister was always a troublemaker. <laughs> I had two boys at the time, and for Easter, she got them a duck and a chicken apiece. You remember when they colored those <laughs> ducks and chickens and things? Oh, yeah. Gave each one of them one apiece. Well, the chickens and the, the duck died, and one duck lived. That duck lived with that dog and thought he was a dog. He slept in a dog house with there all through <laughs> summer and the next winter. And Jake, my brother at that time, owned a, a school bus route. And the people working for him would come down our street. They would blow their horn in front of my house because they knew me. And that duck and dog would come out. The duck going whack, 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 and the dog barking every morning. Make sure it's a damn mad wake up. Well, <laughs> sometimes later, in, in the, toward spring, my one of my brother-in-laws had a, a dairy farm. And had a pond right out behind maybe 50 yards or so from the barn. He said, why don't you bring the duck down here and turn him loose? Well, okay, that sounds good. We took the duck down. That duck didn't know how to swim. Never would get on that pond. <laughs> and, and, and he ran with his dog. He had a dog that come to the barn with him. Well, he called me one morning. He said, uh, I got some bad news. The duck got run over this morning. The milk truck would come in and pull into the driveway of the house and back into the barn to load the milk. The dog and the duck would chase the milk truck. <laughs> and he said, well, he got run over to chase the milk truck. <laughs> run over the duck. A duck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I know well, that's getting away, but that's a story yeah, the way things were back then. That's your story, and you're going to stick to it, right? I'm saying that duck was something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, now there's two stories here that I want to get into and it involves the dogs and I'm wondering uh, which one kind of started first or which way we ought to go first. There's the story of the origin of the Buck Creek Walker dogs. And we talked about yes. that before when you and I got together yes. to do a magazine article for American Cooner. And then there's the story mm -hmm. of the Kentucky River dogs with Elmer Harrod and how that all evolved. Which one of those should we tackle well, the first? Kentucky, the Kentucky River happened first, obviously. Because I've never, I never called, I know his name was Elmer C. as he'd advertised his dogs, and I knew everybody called him Mr. Jack. But I never called him nothing but Mr. Howard because the age difference and respect. I, I don't know how you could explain anything like Mr. Howard. He was just that kind of a, I guess, gentleman or fella. Uh, and he um, uh, always had a couple of three handlers and and uh, some of them went on to win a lot of, of hunts and things for him. Well, when I, uh, I would go to the hunts and go out with them, obviously, and things. And we, um, uh, and he was showing dogs. Uh, you know, he had Fan River Joe, uh, who was Kentucky River Joe when he owned him. And uh, uh, just just a, a terrific person, human being, I guess. And he um, uh, was at the Shelby County Coon Hunters Club, old and getting kind of feeble. And I came in off the cast for, I don't know, sitting talking to him. And he said, Lee, 
And all my dogs are named Kentucky Timber Dinah, and those dogs, that's what Fred had kind of thrown on them. And he said, I want you to carry on my kennel name. Will you do that for me? And I said, sure. You know, well, that would be great. And uh, that's how the Kentucky River uh, Kennels got started. Mr. Howard started it way back in the early 70s. Now, the well, you then, know, Lee, let me jump in here just a, a minute now. For our listeners out there who may not recognize what, who you're talking about, his last name was spelled H-A-R-R-O-D. Herod. Correct. And he he was an elderly gentleman when I met him, and he would come mm-hmm. to the events like plot days or different events, and he had he a camper. He had a camper on his truck, as I remember, mm-hmm. a cap or something, and he had these beautiful tricolored Walker dogs. And I the ones Jack I remember, Jill. yeah, Kentucky River Jack and Kentucky River Jill. Now. Uh, you know, and he was a the consummate Southern gentleman, just the nicest, friendliest, you know, kind of a heavy set fella, older guy. And he played the fiddle, and my dad played the fiddle too. And so at plot mm-hmm. days, they'd have like on at night after the cast would go out, they'd have a little get together. Those that played instruments, especially remember this at at Flora, Illinois, and they'd play and all. But those are my memories of Mr. Harrod, and he he really was, to just emphasize what you're saying, uh, just one of the nicest people I ever met in the sport. But you go ahead now. Well, he he also would stay at the clubhouses, and back in those days, you know, there was great food at those clubhouses. The women, the wives, my wife to serve several times. We'd come and prepare food. They'd have breakfast when you came in. And to throw in something here that the, the younger people wouldn't even know, and you and I, we had four-hour hunts. We couldn't just, you know, there were four hours of competition. It wasn't two hours or anything. But he would stay at the clubhouse and entertain the ladies with all kinds of tricks and knives and different things he <laughs> whittled out. I don't know whether you remember that or not. I don't. But anyway, he, he started the Kentucky River Dogs. They were family river bred. Uh, he loved the Finley River dogs, and uh, uh, I hunted. Uh, I lived. I was working in Frankfurt at that time at, at uh, Bendis Corporation, and I would after work. Uh, I worked uh, night shift for 19 months, afternoon shift, so to speak. I would go pick up Mr. Howard, and I'd had the dog we called Hitler, who was a brother to Buck Creek Drum. I mean, not Buck Creek Drum, to uh, Boone Creek Mike, and pick up him and he'd get one of his dogs and we'd go on the Kentucky river. Elkhorn Creek was big in Frankfurt run into Kentucky river and he and I would hunt. And, and he was just, that was before, uh, we changed the kennel name as a matter of fact, but, uh, the, the buck, the dogs he had, and he showed him, I told you about him showing, uh, uh Joe at, at the Boyle County Coon Hunters Club and, he wasn't, he couldn't have been, he carried him in his arms and, uh, uh, go over to his truck and, and check the dipstick out, take a, uh, a Kleenex, a napkin and get the oil on it and shine the black up. And he would shine that black or red round to the white, dare not to get any on the white. And he made, uh, <laughs> uh, Kentucky river, uh, Joe, uh, uh, a grand show champion. And, and Joe was a fabulous dog. He was, um, I know, well, he he wrote history himself. He don't have to have nothing from me to, 
to blow him up at, when John Monroe got him. And and then in 90, in 90, in 72, and I think the dates are right. It may have been 71 or 73, but around 72, wherever the Walker days was in Rushville, Indiana, uh, Fred took a, a, a litter mate to, to Boone Creek Mike. Now, this is and, Fred well, Sims, your neighbor. Fred Sims, yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, yeah, my buddy Fred. He, he's Fred Sims, I don't want him to listen to this. He probably won't. But he's probably the most knowledgeable person to ever turn a dog loose. And I don't think he hunted him but one hunt in his whole life. He'd, he would go to him. But anyway, to, we bred the, the female to um, Joe, and that's where the Dinah dog and the starting, actually, the original of the Buck Creek line. It started. She was the grandmother of, of uh, Buck Creek Drum. And, and that was in 1972. And, and one of the most intelligent, I've never been a person, you know, you and I have talked, I, I will not tolerate a dumb dog. I, I, I just can't. These wild, crazy running dogs don't fit my style. And she was so smart. And then we bred her. Uh, actually, we didn't breed Donna. We bred the, the other female because I didn't want to breed Donna. I was hunting her. I sent her to her and let her mate. At this time, we did breed her to, to uh, Gold Creek Mondo, and that's where Rock came from, Kentucky River Rock. And as you know, uh, Rock was, uh, we bred him to uh, uh, a Finley River female, and uh, uh, she, that's where Buck Creek Drum come from, that litter, the original Buck Creek dog. And he was born in my backyard. Uh, in my kennels, I kept him, and and my nephew was young, hunted, had started different nephew from Johnny, started hunting with me, and uh, had been for years, and it was his dog. I give it to him, and he sold him to Charlie Butler, Buck Creek Drum, at about fourteen, fifteen months old. He was running the tunes. He was uh, uh, a nice hound. He didn't have the looks that I really wanted. And, and he was a good-looking dog, but you couldn't see. He wasn't no show dog, you know, to, as far as put on the bench. But that's where Buck Creek Drums came from. Mm-hmm. And his uh, granddaddy was uh, Gold Creek Mondo, and uh, his great-granddaddy, Buck Creek, um, at Finley River Joe. And, and, now, and Joe was out of Finley River Chief, right? Who, uh, Joe? Yeah, I think uh, Joe was yeah. out of Finley River Chief, wasn't he? Yeah. No, he wasn't out of chief. He, he was uh, out of jail. Okay, we'll see ya. Uh huh. And and God, what was the other dog? Jack. I, uh, yeah, Jack, Jack and, and Jill. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, uh, you know, Mister Howard would go to to uh, Florida. He had a place down there in in the winter time and. Uh, uh, one of uh, Jack and Doggy called Trampus got burned up in a dog box. People smoking, mm-hmm. throwing cigarettes out, and and uh, they died in the fire in the dog box. And 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 Mr. Iber's hunting Trampus a lot, promoting him, training him. And then that's when he had to go back to Joe, and because he didn't didn't have Trampus no longer. They were brothers. They were litter mates. Mm-hmm. And and I never hunted with Trampus. As a matter of fact, he was real young. 
Well, let's so, talk about some of the early hunts that you went to, Lee. Um, uh, you know, we talked about recently about your your early trip to Redbone days and uh, mm-hmm. uh, some of those things and how you traveled and 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 those hunts sure. back back in the day. I know that uh, you know we guys our age remember those those days, and they're probably uh, for the younger listeners that we have out there. Uh, this stuff probably doesn't relate at all. Uh, you know, how would, how could you do some of the things that you yeah, guys did? Well, it's almost like us reading the history of the people that traveled across the, the, the United States in a covered wagon. You think, how did they do that? How did they survive? You know, uh, but, but, you know, things were a lot more basic back then. Uh, talk about a little bit about those early hunts that you went to. Well, so. well, I, the, well the, the, I would hunt in the bigger hunts in central Kentucky, but we, Jake and I, and, and, uh, 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 my nephew and two other guys, uh, five of us, I had a 59 Chevrolet and Charlie, Charlie and I, and we went to Redbone days in Cordon, Indiana. And a guy named Bud Rosenberger was the, uh, one of the officer in, uh, Redbone. I think he was president. And and five of us put five dogs in the trunk of a '59 Chevrolet, and went to from Harrisburg, Kentucky to Gordon, Indiana, probably 130, 40 miles over there. And when you got to those places, Steve, you didn't. Everybody now, oh, I'm taking my truck. I'm taking my truck. We would all the whole cast would go out maybe in two vehicles, you know. Oh, come on, go with me, ride with me, ride. And that's the way it was. But we put a two before and and tied the the trunk down with a two before and it's other dogs could get air. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking after I told you about this, all four all five dogs were males, and and they hopped over in the trunk, laid down, and 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 there was no dog growling, dog fighting, and all that stuff. And I I placed that was my first big uh, win. I, the Jiggers, a little black dog. I I placed second in the hunt over there. I got still got the trophy. That's the one I never gave away. Uh, it was about trophies, probably 15 inches tall, something like that. And and to do that, I was, you know, my first one. And that's the way we, we would go to the hunt to drive a car. And then later, as Shirley was telling me, we I had got a, a Mercury station wagon, we called them back then. And I'd built a, a, a small wire cage in the back of it, let the tailgate down, and I hunted out of that Mercury Station wagon. And my wife, being a Catholic, we would go to church, and uh, she was from Lebanon, and they that was a big Catholic town down there. And the two nuns, the teachers there at the school, wouldn't found out that after church we would always go down to her house, Shirley's house. Well, the nuns they they wanted to hitch a ride with us, which was great. The nuns would get in the back seat of the car, and and uh, uh, the dog box, dog smell, and all, and behind them, and and we would take them down to 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 see their friends. And when we got ready to go, you know, five or six o'clock, run by and pick them up. They're ready to go, you know, and get in the back of that Mercury wagon that I'd hunted with the night before. 
And Maybe that's where the name bad. That's the way you hunted from. back then. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and another story there. We, I never, I never drank. I mean, I drank a, a beer. Maybe I haven't had a drink of liquor in 25 years. Never drank then, except parties and things. But uh, for some reason, Shirley opened up the glove compartment of the car. And there was a half pint of liquor in there, and the nuns in the back, and 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 nothing to do with them but take it home with them. They had to have that for cooking and for their their sure. cakes and things. <laughs> yeah. So then we, wound up, then we wound up. Then we wound up getting the nuns. We would always get them a half a pint or so. Uh, Harrodsburg, Kentucky, was dry and and no no alcohol at all. So they'd have to go to bootleggers to get to get any kind of a. <laughs> a drink like that but we supplied the nuns and church there with their liquor and, and but it was never over a half a pint or so you know that's all we could afford <laughs> that's, that's the way hunting was back then well you know uh i i hunted out of station wagon for many years that's the way my dad uh-huh. hunted up until right. about 1972 was when my dad bought his first pickup um, you know, we yeah. had station wagons and we put up, uh, now this wasn't the primary family car. My mother, she was a little too proud well, for that. Mine you know? was. Yeah. Yeah. Say mine was uh, the only right. one we had. Yeah. And when you get back to that story about those coon hides in that house, I remember those trips coming back from Monroe County, about a two-hour drive on mm-hmm. Twisting Roads, and those dogs were wet in the back of that cage oh, there yeah. in that station way. And then that, that uh, joy or whatever dog food started passing through <laughs> them in a, in a ga- gaseous <laughs> form. And, and you'd have to, you know, the, you know, you'd be, tears would be rolling down your face. You, you know, know the, the, Steve, the old story goes, there nothing smells worse than a wet dog. Yes, they do. Frozen <laughs> yeah. two nights, too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guarantee you. Well, you yeah, know, that, it, that's the way we honey, Dan. And, and, and we, we moved on up, uh, sometimes in, um, um, 67, 66, we gathered up enough money that I got a, uh, uh, it was a 64 Ford pickup truck and it had a, a small camper on it. It, uh, had sleepers and things overhead, uh, that I, I would drive to the hunts and you're talking about Mr. Howard. I went to, uh, Fred and I went to, uh, Autumn's Oak. It was in Greencastle and, uh, Mr. Howard was there and evidently he, he was, didn't have a, a, a his camper or whatever, but anyway, I told him I said I'm I'm going, Fred and I are going hunting and but we're not driving my truck. Go down and get in the camper and, and take him to go to sleep, rest. So Fred had went out with somebody. Fred would go out on cast with these famous dogs to see them go. That was Fred's way. And uh, Fred said he came in from from the cast and and. Uh, Went to get in the camper, <clears throat> and there laid Mister Howard in there, and said he sure looked rough. You know, he said scared the holy devil out of me. Somebody in your camper sleeping, <laughs> and and but that was just the way we hunted back then. <clears throat> but well, it it was good. Uh, you know, I wouldn't trade nothing for it. Uh, we didn't have. 
I, I wasn't the only one. Everybody hunted the same way. They all, all of my friends, that's the way they went. Sure. Sure. So, I've told you know, the story about that. We mentioned uh, uh, Penny's friend there <laughs> that he caught the coon hides with when I was a kid at uh, this kid, uh, Chuck, and we had an old Plymouth Barracuda. It was Chuck's car. And we put the dogs under that hatch you know and that barracuda sure. and we'd drive to a night hunt and we had a little old pup tent that we'd throw out there oh, and that too. was our that's how we camped out on the grounds and then some guy like henry hit from over uh, in richwood west virginia with the cherry river tree and walkers and had a big magnetic, those, yeah. yeah mag magnetic sign on the side of his truck and he got out and he oh. he let had a custom had a a uh, 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 store-bought dog box on the back, and he let these two big walkers out, and he, he's got a can opener there opening cans of Alpo and putting it down for them, you know, and, and we're sitting over there, you know, and it's almost like the old movie, like Wayne's World or something. We're sitting there uh, bowing and saying, we're not worthy. We're not worthy, you know. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Mr. Coon Hunter, you know, but you idolized those guys back in that day, you know, you, uh, and the first pair of Carhartts I ever got, it was like getting a Brooks Brothers suit or something, you know, I mean, it's just a different time, Lee, just a different time. Sure, and everything changed, you know, like we were talking about basketball from then to now, the rules, the regulations, and and, and the kids, and and everything, Uh, uh, we just played basketball to have something to do and we got started hunting the same way have something to do we didn't have computers and televisions and and, and everything i said when your kid growing up we finally got a tv and i remember it was like uh what eight inch nine inch screen and every friday night my dad would take us boys and go down to my brother-in-law's and uh uh watch the left cavalcade of sports Mm-hmm. Watch the fights. Yeah. Yeah. Watch the fights. And, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll just tell you something here. Interesting. My brother-in-law was a, an engineer on his own mind. And he, back then <laughs> the TVs were, uh, you could only get the Lexington, Louisville, Cincinnati channels. And you had to turn the antenna to face each, uh, uh, uh station. Ow. Yeah. And, and and my brother-in-law t- drilled a hole through his house and ran a pipe, a bar, through the hole to the rod to change the antenna from inside of his house. <laughs> and now they, they they don't know about that. But anyway, back to back to the dogs when we uh, would go to the hunts and everything. Uh, everybody was buddies. Uh, <coughs> I'm sorry. Everybody was friends, you know, big time and and and. Hey, go with me. We wouldn't take 10 cars through the woods or we'd take two at the most, you know, mm-hmm. everybody go together. You didn't have to have a ride. Once you got to the lunch, you had a ride. But, uh, yeah, that, you were talking about the pup tents, uh, in 65, the world championship was in, uh, at least I'm at Missouri and ACHA world was the only one. And I, that was the year that spot one at Fen River spot. And that's the time of the, really met John Monroe. He'd been advertising chief and things and full crowd, whatever. And a guy named Bobby Durham, who was the biggest Fred, you know, Fred's a big boy and myself. And we slept in a tent on the ground and we had to get down on our hands and knees to get in the tent to sleep. 
And John and, and his brother Lee pulled in a, a Ford truck, and it had a, a cover on it, a plywood cover, and hay in there, loose hay, and they slept in there with their dog. And they slept back then right beside of our tent uh, that we slept in. And we, one of my, or I guess it was Fred's, I didn't have no rich friends, had a motel rented there. And we went down afternoon to watch Bob Gibson pitch in the World Series at, at the motel. And there must have been 15 of us in there all around the doors and outside the door watching the, the baseball game during the day. Yeah. And same thing. So now I wouldn't, God, I'd go and take my wife. She won't stay in some of the places we stay in. You know, <laughs> it, it, it changed well, that way. Well, you know, there, we could do several shows and talking about the way that things were back in those days, Lee, and, and it sure was a different world. There was such an excitement about getting to a hunt. You know, when you got yeah. to the hunt, you just couldn't wait to see the dogs that were there, the people that were there to drive around and walk mm-hmm. around, see the dogs that were tied up, uh, you know, and, and listen to the guy's story, you know, about about his hound and all that. So I could say now, you know, we, we tend to just go and show up in time to get the dog entered and get it on. And, and, and you know, if we win, we had a good time. If we yes. didn't win, we yep. didn't. And then, um, you know, so it's a whole different world. Well, you've always had the philosophy of um, not only having a good hound, and of course, with your background of hunting, we've established that you are a coon hunter or have been pretty much all your life. But at some point in time, this thing about having the good looking dog too came into the equation for you. Uh, What what's that story all about? Well, I, I like to, I I would be at the shows or hunts back in the day, and 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 I would show dogs for Johnny and I, my nephew. People come in and say, "Well, I'd show so and so, but I don't know enough about it. I can't do this, can't do that." And and, and I'm young, and and uh, the master hound Ben showed Well, Leo show him for you. Yeah, I'll show him. So I got showing dogs, and I got to excited over it, and I didn't want an ugly dog. I never, never, never did. Uh, I, I had cattle that were beautiful. My dad did, and, and I didn't want uh, ugly dogs. And I, I got, I was so bad at it, Steve. If I was going to hunt, wasn't going to show the dog, they'd give him a bath or take him to the hunt. I don't know if that's a little eccentric or crazy or what, but I would do it, and, and I probably still would. But Well, just, you took pride I, in your stock, you know. I, mean, right. I, I used to, and, and, Lee, I used to wash all my dogs before I would go to any breed days hunts and, and things like that. I, I think that's uh, pretty common. I, I mean, maybe not common, but it's, um, I get what you're saying. You don't want to roll in there. You roll in looking, I, looking I, professional and, and pride in what you got. When I was, when I was advertising, we did the only dog ever put in the magazines and, oh, I'd put in breed books or things. It was, when Gary and Sheila had Rowdy and, and we were, uh, uh, they were pushing him. They did most all the work on him and, and, and everything. But, uh, 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 I always wanted to put in my ad and my wife wouldn't let me. There's two things in this world you don't have to do. You don't have to be married to an ugly woman and you don't have to hunt an ugly dog. <laughs> and, 
she wouldn't let me put it in there, but I would put, <laughs> you don't have to hunt an ugly dog, you know? And, and I just, when I turned my dog loose from way back in early, early in my career, I wanted to lead the prettiest darn dog out there on the cast and then, then win the cast with him. And, and that stuck with me. I can't change from it. And, and my wife, you know, I've, she she don't like that if I happen to have one little ugly she didn't like him at all and and but Steve I told you the story about uh, uh, smooth lady you know when I got her being ugly and and uh, I, I don't know what's in me about that and and you know I did it and you know Tommy Lanning Tommy my buddy uh, that showed dogs with us he's he's kind of gotten the same way. And of course, he's shown those with me all these years. But uh, well, I, you I don't know, know Lee, what it is. I can't explain it. I think the bench shows themselves evolved from the the fact, and and maybe they came more out of the foxhound world. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. I think you know the guys would go to a hunt or a trial. Back in the day, it was field trials a lot more than the night mm-hmm. hunts, and yeah. they'd say, "Well, my, you know." Oh, Joe, uh, well, there's got a, a good-looking dog. You know, a, that's You're a good-looking right. hound. And somebody says, yeah, he's all right, but I believe mine's better looking than he is. And they'd get a bale of straw and, and, and a couple of bales of straw and put the dogs up and look at them. And, and then first thing you know, there was a couple of cinder blocks with a tube of 12 or something uh, laid across them. And, you know, little by little, but there's always been that inherent uh, desire, I think, within the houndsman to have a good looking hound, you know. Well, and still today, and, and I've, I've, you know, uh, Shirley and I were talking just since you did the the article that uh, about puppies every dog that i've campaigned uh, in the shows and hunts except maybe one or two uh i raised from a puppy and and it don't take me long i, I i've got a puppy coming and uh should be born out of uh, willie and and a, a litter mate to a natalie's dog at one autumn's oak this year they'll be born this coming weekend sometime friday or saturday and I want that puppy when he's five weeks old, at least. No, no, not much older. Because you create that bond with that dog. The, the, and, you know, and, and I've seen this over and over and over again. Discipline and training starts the day they're born. The same way with children. You go in restaurants and have kids hollering and screaming and yelling and things like that. And, oh, he's too young to know the difference. That's when he's on top of you and you're not on top of you when you think that mm-hmm. and and I want my puppies and I've trained them and I want them at five, six weeks old, not much older now because then they formed a bad habit. <clears throat> and you go back, I go back to when I moved to South Carolina, I lost the book, but I had a, uh, uh, just, it, it was a small thin book. Uh, the guy, Oba Corey, is that the right name, Steve? You go back to the uh, big game hunter out West back in the day. Yeah. Oh, oh, had, right. had, had done this book and he said, if you've got two puppies, you never put them together. You put one on one end of the kennel and one on the other, because the best puppy will never be no better than the worst one if they're together all the time. And how true that is, you know, 
Uh, I know I'm getting away from a good-looking dog, but that starts right there with brains. And and I just, you know, every time I would breed a female, even from Joe, Joe was a good-looking dog. I saw him at start showing. I would want, I would take the best I had, and and you can't you can't be on top if you think you're on top. There's people got better than you got, so you want to reach out and get the better. Of, of what you like, and I like Joe. I liked his looks. He was a good-looking rascal, and and I, I we bred the female. Actually, Fred did, but uh, I got two of the puppies, and he got Ted too. And then I, you know, from take that to breed to a dog like Mundo. As a matter of fact, we were going to breed uh, uh, Dinah to Spring Creek Rock, but I I couldn't. Uh, Dwayne uh, Clark was going to a fur sale somewhere that weekend, and you know you can't wait. So I called uh, and got a set up to go to Arkansas and breed the Mundo, and that's where Rock came from. And to say that Mundo, you know, was a, he won the world show and placed seventh and on. And then I became friends with. Uh, 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 Billy Stinson someone's Frank Creek Radar and had a close relationship with Billy for he still do I don't know whether Billy's still living but a few years ago he came to the St. Jude and we talked and he he lost his wife but uh, one of the, the up there with Mr. Howard type of person and anybody that ever saw uh, Radar knew he was Steve you'd, you'd seen him Beautiful hound. From that, yeah, and and from a female out of that cross came uh, 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 Rowdy through Rock. So just to go from there right on through, that was just my desire to do. And and I, I don't know something that I've never. I've got three dogs in the uh, Southeastern Trail and Walker Hall of Fame, and. I don't know why that Rowdy wouldn't be considered one of the greatest towns to never, you know, to, to never be recognized as such with, with his hunting and, and, and show records. Uh, we, uh, Gary and I hunted him and showed him 19 times in qualifying events and qualified 17 times for the World AKC and UKC uh, Championship. I've known dogs that won the world and took five or six trips to get qualified. Um, and you're saying there I, that he qualified for the night hunt as well as the shows, right? Sure. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and never lost but twice in the whole time. You know, and, and, uh, the and 17 times he was qualified. Uh, well, I think that's probably what some folks, especially uh, younger people in the sport don't know about you lee is that you did have this line of dogs that uh was starting with the rock dog and then rowdy and then rowdy son boomer and and right on down the line that these dogs were dual purpose dogs they were absolutely coon dogs they made night hunt titles 
uh, you, I know as we wrote uh, an article recently for American Cooner, you talked about how they placed at, at major hunts like the Grand American and Southeastern Walker Days in the night hunt portion and then come back sure. the next day or the next year and win the show. So I think that's pretty well established for those that have been paying attention that, you know, your dogs have have, have been truly uh, dual purpose hounds. I, I never I never had to advertise the one dog around it should from the Kentucky River line. I was never interested in it. I, I was not. And Gary and Sheila were great friends. I talked to uh, Gary a uh, text a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago actually. And 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 th- I never pushed the Kentucky River lines. We didn't go out and and, and breed females. And I may have raised eight nine litters of pups in my whole life. I had no desire to have puppies, and uh, Steve, I told you in 1967 or eight, whichever year it was, I sold two dogs, and I didn't have a dog for three or four days. It was the only time in my life, and I've never sold a dog since, other than puppies. I, I don't have nothing against it, but when I love the dogs I got that I keep and that I hunt, and I don't want to see them abused and being sold and traded and kicked around. I give them to people. You know, uh, you talked about David McKee. David uh, had uh, a lady when she died. Jerry Boyd had Candy and 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 uh, Rowdy both out there hunting. I'm not doing a lot because they got old and feeble. But and and Boomer was the only dog that ever died at my house. I just put him down, but. Uh, the Jigger dog. I had a friend that worked with the Square D. I let him take him when he got older and enjoy hunting. And I, it, I guess that's the reason the, the, the Kentucky River Coast were never promoted. We didn't promote them. I didn't didn't want to. Actually, I didn't need to. I had other things to do. And and I wanted to win shows. I wanted to win hunts. And, uh, uh, you know, a rowdy uh, w- Placed second in in the Lee Crawford Invitational, which but had to be qualified to get in, and then turned around and won the show that weekend. Uh, sure. Then, like I said, Boomer won the, the Grand American bench show one year, and the next year Harold Kay and I hunted him in the hunt and placed fourth in the hunt. Yeah, and that's not a little hunt. And then uh, the, the Boomer won. The show at Southeastern Trin Walker Days, and the next year he was the night champion winner. So, yeah, yeah we, we, camp- we campaigned while we hunted, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned here some of your friends, and of course, you're talking about Gary Cook of Indiana and his wife, Sheila, Sheila Hicks mm-hmm. Cook. Uh, Sheila's dad, Monty, was well known back in the day as a supply person, dog supplies and, and yep. all. And, and uh, those uh, those were back in what I call the, 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 the heyday of competition hunting and coon hunting sure. as far as UKC was concerned in the in the 80s back there when the, uh, you know the crowds were huge and the barns were full of stud dogs and and uh, you know the Purina race was cranking up and going strong and and all those things but you talked about uh, you know friends like that and I think uh when you and I really got to be closer friends, I believe, was when I went to PKC 
and uh, right. started the bench show program there. And, and you know, and I needed someone to kind of help me along with that. Uh, uh, PKC didn't have a bench show program and they wanted one and they wanted to set up a format that uh, paid money to the winners like they do in the night hunt. So, and you were a huge help to me there by, you know, hauling the benches around and all, but we had some good hunts and good times back in those days, didn't we? Oh man, didn't we ever, we, you know, we do, but uh, we were talking, uh, you and I just recently about the, uh, uh, I think it was Versailles, so I know it was, it was on the Wabash River with uh, Gary Hearn, you know, and, and uh, uh, Kevin Schwartz, a young man that was handling dogs from Michigan for Gary, uh, going out, you know, after all the activity was done. I don't know, Steve. How many times we do that? Twenty, oh, thirty times during time. Yeah. Well, uh, for the listeners, what we would do, we'd put these shows on these large shows mm-hmm. at places like the Spring Classic or the uh, uh, the Sunshine Jamboree down in Thomasville, Georgia, or or wherever. In a tent. <laughs> in a tent, rent a circus tent, and uh, and all, and then when we got the work done, so to speak, before the show the next day, we'd go coon hunting, and uh, or the entries were out and all, and that's when I got the chance to hunt with Rowdy and Boomer uh, on several occasions, and uh, and then so uh, and it was on one of those trips uh, down to Thomasville, Georgia, that you took me down to Johnny Brinkley's. Oh, you remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, I remember all those trips. Uh, that, that you couldn't ask for anything. Uh, uh, any resort you wanted to go to that have big time on TV and all that, you couldn't go anywhere and enjoy as much as you go to Johnny and Quita's. And, and and for the people that don't know, uh, Johnny is uh, just I. I He's just something else. I mean, him, well, Quita too. And you know that we run in and out of their house like rats and, and, and we, for, <laughs> we, for years would go Thanksgiving. We'd have Thanksgiving down there and HL and, and Diane Myers would come and, and Steve, it was just to go for Thanksgiving. We went out on the little ramp he had out back to the gazebo and HL and him and I, and, the first year we'd never fried a turkey. We fried three turkeys out there. <laughs> and we're outside eating, sitting on the <clears throat> pardon me, the, the back porch so to speak, and and there was fifty, sixty people there and I said, Johnny, are all of these your grandkids or or he said, Lee, half of these people I don't even know. <laughs> they're people that they're they're people that, that my kids and grandkids had invited to come over. <laughs> that was just the way they were, and then you'd go hunting at night, you know. Uh, oh wow! And, and you know, yeah. He, had, he he took. They bought uh, three hundred and some acres, and put an eight foot. You've seen it welded wire fence all around it. Well, Johnny and and they have nothing. They nothing but hunting on it. They don't do anything else with it. Got deer and and the coon hunting, and. Johnny was telling me, he said, we were, had some Guatemalans in there happening with the fence. And he said, we got back in the back, and boy, there was a swamp back there. They raised coon hunting by the swamp, how big the swamp is or so. And he said, it was great. So I went back to the house and told Quita, I said, let's go up to the 
sales office and buy about 50 more acres back there. Well, he, they, they went to the sales office and the guy told us that, no, we're only selling it in a minimum of 150 acres. And Johnny said, well, we'll just take 150 more acres of it then. So they wound up 512 acres with an eight-foot welded water fence. Mm. And your dogs can't get out. If they get out of pocket, so to speak, you run back over to the truck and get another one or two. <laughs> oh, and, boy. And then, yeah. you, you, then, and then I know you, I don't know whether you ever were down hunting with Jake Lewis from down on the coast or not. Absolutely, yeah. But Jake had this thing, a shootout. He called it Jake Lewis Shootout. And he'd send out invitations to people, 20, 25 people to come and and and, and hunt in a shootout. And I don't know why these hunt clubs and everything didn't hasn't adopted these rules and regulations in my whole life. Cause, and I never thought of it. Jake did. And the way you did it, they would have a low country brawl out in the woods, dirt everything poured out on the table that they may have tried to wipe off and everybody would eat all the 20 or 30 people. And then how many dogs we got? Well, we got 18, 20 and the way they would do it, they would draw in cast. There wasn't no entry piece. You draw in cast. Well, cast one hunted first. Everybody went together. Everybody went to the same spot together. They turned the dogs loose in cast one. And the dogs would go, whatever dog struck and treat her. After that first, first coon, after the first coon, that cast was over. And whoever won advanced. And then the second number two cast would turn loose and advance. He'd come down to the final cast. Some cast wouldn't last 10 or 15 minutes because, you know, you would tree in there on those long pretty quick. Hmm. And then you advance to the next cast. And then you would get down to the final three or four dogs, whatever was in the last cast, and everybody go back and eat again. I had to go back to the table where you'd left all that food and eat again and then have the final cast. <clears throat> and and my grandson, uh, honey Dan down there, you remember Dan, I know, in in huh? in, in the hunt. And won the hunt with Dan and got a jacket and all all kinds of Jake Lewis shootout champion. But the cast had no time limit. It was just the first coon. The first track you got after was the end of that cast. And but well, everybody hunted together and socialized, and we had so. And then Johnny Star did later. You know, did the mm-hmm. same thing. Well, our my experience with that, Lee. I'm interrupting you here, though. But what a joy it was. You know, we went from Thomasville down that one night. We just drove oh, yeah. down and hunted a little bit your son lenny was there and yeah. and, and hl meyer and johnny and and jake and and the different i don't know if jake was there that first year or not and his son kenny and all but we uh mm-hmm. you know that became a tradition for us sure. for many years the weekend you and david the, would go down yeah the ukc winter classic was held in albany georgia and uh, right. we began uh, going down there. And then when I went to PKC, uh, the Southern uh, uh, Heritage Hunt, I know the uh, mm-hmm. Sunshine Jamboree uh, was That's in right. Thomasville. So, you know, and then it became a every January thing to go to Johnny and Laquitas. They have a, a beautiful rustic home out in the country outside Long, of Tallahassee. Long, yeah. 
log house for sure. M- more uh, hospitable people you will never meet in your life. Uh, yeah. Laquita would always make this for Lee, uh, for you, that huge uh, coconut cake every year. Brought it to the Winter Classic the first year <laughs> or one year down and brought this whole sheet cake. This, and and that, she knew I, I love coconut cake. And and she even gave Lenny the recipe, and now he bakes one every year for at Christmas. But yeah, bring that cake, and everybody's sitting around the ring eating coconut well, cake, and they're trying to show dogs. Yeah, one other little vignette there is I, when we would hunt on that 500 acres, we'd get out there and make a couple of drops, and then he'd say, "Well, let's get let's go back up here to uh, uh, and and make a fire." And Jake yeah. <laughs> would haul out this cooler full mm-hmm. of fresh oysters that were just I never caught. liked them things. You didn't like them? Oh, my. No. It was an acquired taste for me. But those, as the guy told me at the BBCHA one time about the cash catfish fry that he uh, offered me a, a plate of, and it was delicious. And he said, son, those fish slept last night in the White River. And uh, <laughs> those oysters uh, slept that night in before the in, uh, in the Apalachicola Bay or, or up there around yeah. uh, Jake. Uh, but anyway, that's, you know, you and I could reminisce for hours about the, the, oh, the yeah. wonderful but, but one, time. One, one more thing about those oysters was uh, uh, watching Jake uh, shucking those. Jake and, and his son there would shuck those oysters for all of you guys. Y'all were too lazy or didn't know how, and and then then lick the lick the juice running down his arm off, and 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 I told everybody the best places to the the, the hottest spots to hunt at Brinkley's house was where there was the most oyster shells piled up on the side of the road. That's where oh, the most honey went off. That was amazing. You know? I had never eaten oysters on the half shell until I went down there, and those ice cold oysters with a good a uh, bottle of Texas Pete or, or or whatever and a cracker. Uh, as they say back in West Virginia, that'll make you smack your grandma, you know? Yeah. And, and let, <laughs> let me tell you, Jake would always save about 12 or 15 of those oysters and shuck them. And surely like fried oysters. She didn't like mm. the raw ones. And, and they would give them to her and they would fry those oysters up at, at Quita and her would the next day they would uh, they have them at night one more story about them that i thought was amazing is uh, uh i spent a lot of money down there not on johnny everything was free there but shirley and quita and, and uh, diane going black friday going shopping cost me a bundle you know they always <laughs> went shopping well friday afternoon we would wait till friday night you know johnny had a catfish pond in behind his house Mm-hmm. And people don't, that, that pond has a, a, a rubber lining in it. So no mud and no right. catfish and everything. But anyway, uh, uh, they came in, it was almost dark or so, and we grabbed a bite. We had picked our own food. You know how that was, me and HL. And Johnny, we'd prepare on the women are gone. They're, they're shopping. So they came in and I said, guys, and, and I always wanted to, didn't want to be a sponger and, and, that's about all you can be down there. They won't let you spend any money. I said, guys, if y'all are coming back in early tomorrow afternoon, Friday, we're going, I mean, Saturday, we're going hunting. 
I said, we'll go over here to one of these fish camps. I love to go to those places and eat that seafood and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were fresh and everything. And, oh, okay, okay, we'll be in, we'll be in, you know. So we go hunting at night and uh, come in about, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and there's a stainless steel enclosed trailer sitting up there in the corner of the yard. And, oh, okay, you know, all the equipment's sitting around, you don't think nothing about it. And the next day we were up and we fishing. I, Johnny and I, HL went down and caught a few catfish. And these two guys came in and opened the thing up and started cooking. And they catered in some dudes there to, they had seafood of all kinds. And, and I had mentioned the fact, you know, that certain kind of fish I love, they had those. I said, what are you doing, Johnny? He said, oh, we're going to have a fish fry here after a while. And he's out in the road there every time he sees a car coming up, flagging down his neighbor, saying, y'all come on back about 3 o'clock now. We're going to have some <laughs> some, uh, some seafood here. Oh, what boy. you wouldn't be entertained like that? I mean, you know, no. I, we're not going down. We're not going down in the country to eat. We can let them bring it up here to us. <laughs> Johnny Brinkley is one of, is the the consummate Southern gentleman too. I mean, Johnny goes back. Totally. He had some really good black and tan dogs down through the years. Uh, his yeah. son Doug uh, can't like the competition hunt, but some of the fondest memories I have is with Johnny and David, and and I'm sure you mm-hmm. were probably there some of the times and all sitting around their uh, uh, kitchen table and talking about dogs and talking about the old days and eating eating. always more than you could, (laughs) you could believe just that's all part of the sport uh, Lee uh, that we want through this podcast to portray to these younger people. You can have this too. get to make some real friends fellowship with sure. them, do things with them. It doesn't always sure. have to be out in the woods. It can be, Absolutely. you know, get together for a weekend or a holiday, you know, and take your wives together and let them get to know each other. And, and the kids, uh, you know, grow up together and, uh-huh. and all uh-huh. that. It's uh-huh. just a wonderful, wonderful way for people to be together. And I know we can't right now be <laughs> with anybody, but those inside our four walls, but uh, you know, this is a good segue, I think, Lee, into the fact that, you know, there's been several young people uh, that you've been uh, influential uh, in their lives in the sport. And, uh, and and then there's also the fact that you've held seminars, uh, bench show seminars and those yeah, kind of things. Had one, had one this past summer uh, down at Union for David and the and the youth and, and Steve, we had, uh, I think the head count was like 38 there. Uh, Lisa Bedingfield and, uh, and John, uh, uh, border. And I, uh, did one for David. Uh, and, and, uh, it, it really, it really makes me feel good to go do it, to be able to share whatever I know. And, and, uh, you know, uh, I also learned a lot from Lisa and John with their segment of it. Yes, you're exactly right. 
Well, we've mentioned our friend David McKee, and you're the the guy that introduced me to David. And of course, anybody in the southeast knows David. He he's uh, you know the president of the Grand American Association and puts on the Grand American Hunt every year in Orangeburg, which is it's still one of the biggest hunts in the country. And he's been the president of Southeast uh, South Carolina Coon Hunters Association for a a lot of years. And so you and David were friends, but it goes back and, you know, there's, and David, I'm sure wouldn't, wouldn't mind me mentioning, you know, he, he and his wife, Deb went through a horrible thing that, that no parent should ever have to do. And that was, uh, losing their, their son in a, in an auto accident. But you, uh, you mentored Chris, um, McKee into, uh, coon hunting and, and, uh, and night hunting and things like that, didn't you? Well, yeah, and also <clears throat> he, uh, Chris was a great athlete, and, and I would uh, go down. Uh, he played football and basketball and everything, and and we, I, I would take off and go down there on a Friday night and, and watch him play. Then David and him and I would hit our coon hunting, and and Chris was. Uh, uh, Oh, I mean, you have to put David and, and Deb up there with Johnny and, and Quita and everything as far as type people they are. Uh, yeah, Chris, uh, I helped him a lot, I think, in sports, uh, they different things. I would never played football, but I did play basketball. And I'm, I don't know, uh, uh, Doc Gennetti was a, a doctor there in Union. And we were over at his house. He had black and tan dogs, and David and and Chris and I and and uh, some other kid. I don't remember those names, but they were fourteen, fifteen years old. And he had a basketball goal out in uh, dog bed, and and I'll never forget. I tell Chris, don't be swinging the ball up. Here's the way you shoot the basketball, <clears throat> things like that, and. He he really picked it up, and and he I never forget when when it, when David came out, he told David, he said, "Man, I learned how to shoot a basketball," and and things like that, and and <laughs> and then he hunted Boomer in the youth hunts, and uh, uh, he loved Boomer, and uh, uh, I would go out on the cats in the youth hunts with him. Uh, he hunted Boomer, you know, one one of the hunts with Boomer. <clears throat> one of the youth hunts down there and uh then there was another kid there that hunted rowdy in those youth hunts and i swear he named it some of chris's friends i'd let him take it out and go hunt you know but i went with with uh chris and and david would always go with the other key kid and and chris was just special he was a special kid uh well you know they retired his jersey at uh uh, yeah. uh, uh but got down at uh, Myrtle Beach. Oh, at the no, college. In, yeah. Yeah. And as you said, Donnie Shell was the only other person uh, to have his jersey retired down there. And and he he was just a terrific kid. And, and then so was David and Debbie. I said, but Debbie, uh, after the seminar, they had a dinner there at the, the club last summer. And I said, with her, and, and uh, they, they really they loved that kid and and now you got to know that david's daughter <laughs> has a young lady chrissy and 
I don't know whether I managed, you know, helped her so much along the way, but David asked me a couple of years ago, three years ago, said, Chris, you got into these dogs and, and she doesn't have anything. I'll get her a dog. So I'd bred, uh, 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 uh really to this female here I had. And, uh, uh, I said, I'll get her a puppy. Well, she's, she won champion, uh, male this past year at uh, North Carolina state with it. And then the Gabby dog, I'd finished her in the grand and I, uh, called, uh, David and, I said, you know, if anybody won't Gabby, she's three or four years old. And uh, boy, I got a text right away from Chrissy. I want her, you know. <laughs> she's, well, yeah. She's got Gabby down there. And, well, and I, I give them the dogs. I don't tell the dogs. I don't, you, you know, you called me one time and did uh, uh, want a puppy for some young boy down in uh, Alabama. Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they came up here. Great people. Took the puppy. Never showed it. That's okay. I know the kid has a, a nice hound dog. And, and yeah, well, you know, a, yeah, I, I can sell a dog, Steve, for a puppy for $200, or I can make a friend for $200 and not sell them. So take the dog. I'd rather have the dog than the $200. I'd rather have the friend than the $200. That's just, just the way I am, you know. For sure. And then, of course, the Lannings uh, is another story. Oh, two, two generations oh, there he, that you've helped. He's, he's, he's going to be listening to this, and don't give him a swell <laughs> kid or nothing. Don't give him The funny thing about Tommy, he, he was 14, 15 years old, and, and he went to high school here. And, of course, you know, we had the flower shop, and his mom was traded there. And, well, actually, it was for the flower shop that I met Tommy. And, uh, and, and he started hunting with me and we'd go to the hunts and, and Jake loved Tommy. I mean, my brother, Jake, and, you know, Jake went with me all the time, pick him up in Harrodsburg and go on to wherever Tommy be with us. Well, we would show the dogs. Well, you drive from South Carolina to, uh, Ohio, Indiana, dogs are dirty and they're not ready. And we'd be in the motel. Jake and I bring dogs in the motel. Tommy be in a shower in his shorts and giving the dogs a bath and him too. <laughs> and here now Tommy's got he even takes Austin, my grandson, all the time hunting and things. He said, Now I know why you put up with me and took me to all these hunting shows. I did all the dang work. Now I'm using <laughs> these kids to do the same thing. I learned from you. But talk, did you see about, how talking about taking showers in motels i've plugged up more than one drain doing that very same thing <laughs> i did it just but a couple of them in you know we would stick them in and all that kind of stuff get them in there and and and, and but we took our own towels we didn't use yours i was i was a good enough guy to take my own towels but but yeah tommy tommy is, is, is just i mean he calls austin my grandson austin uh 15 and takes him hunting and, and, and everywhere. And I really appreciate that. Uh, but do you, you know, see to, how to, this is passing down? You know, yes, I mean, yeah. you, you yeah. mentored Tommy and, and took him to the hunts and yeah, you let sure. him do some of the dirty work and all, but that's what kids need to do to learn how to do things, you know, but and you then know, now he's you know, passing he, it on to Austin. Right. You know, yeah. and then his own daughter, Lauren, who you worked with. Oh, Lauren, she's a sweetheart, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, she she uh, she loves showing the dog. She hunted with him. Lauren hunted with him a lot. Lauren's in college now, going to Clemson, and and she's living up there. But uh, uh, they they were just special people. I remember one time Jake came down, and we we stayed in a, some state-run places down at uh, Orangeburg, and I, a friend of mine had some contact with these uh, cabin things down there, and. We're up, gotten our dogs ready to hit in right quick to get to the show. And, and uh, Tommy asked Jake, my brother, there was another old man, Jerry, uh, was his name with Jake. And Tommy said, uh, uh, Jake said, you want to stop and get something to eat or you want to get a biscuit or whatever? And uh, Jake said, Tommy said, me and Jerry are just like two old hogs. We don't have no place to go and nothing to do when we get there. So it was kind of... <laughs> You know, Tommy still uses that. I don't have nothing to do and no place to go and nothing to do when I get there. But well, yeah, those kids, and, and then we come along, you know, uh, Lenny and Rhonda, my uh, daughter and my oldest son, uh, show dogs and hunted a, a lot. And uh, uh, they were, well, it's actually Rhonda's grandson, Chunk, the one we call Chunk. Quincy's his real name. And he calls me grandfather. I don't like the rest of them. And, and, uh, to, to take him and Austin to the AKC youth world and, and the children dogs and, uh, to take, you know, go to the, the sunshine Jamarie. I was down there this year and didn't show a darn dog. The kids showed my dogs, all of them. And, and they learned it from it. And, and then I, like I told you, I, I've been doing some work around the house here and, Austin's out of school. Me and him added on to my barn. A 15-year-old kid don't know how to use a saw and a hammer and things like that. It's just something they got to learn. And and yeah. it was good for him, and he enjoyed it, having me build it, you know? Well, you know, the point here is, for me, is that, you know, the sport can be passed along, I guess, on social media posts sure. and, and all this kind of thing, the way kids like to do things now. But it's really passed asked on the the you know the the real heritage the real uh uh treasure in this sport is is passed down in in human vessels it's in passing down a grandfather to his grandchildren uh, uh somebody like you a friend's son you know w- with sure. chris mckee mm-hmm. and and and, and Chrissy, don't leave her out. I love and Chrissy. Chrissy, yeah, yeah, his granddaughter. And 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 I thank you for introducing me uh, to David because he and Deb are just dear, dear friends. And uh, so yeah, so the point being here for our listeners out there, and Chris, you can jump in here and and don't let me ramble too much. But how, how the point I, is, how, how exactly do I get in here? That's you've what I want ne- you've never <laughs> just jump in with both feet. <laughs> But, you know, that's the thing is how uh, we got to pass this on, you know, it's got to be passed on and the best way to do it is just one on one. And it's just uh, my hope that the kids will find a Lee Curran somewhere in their experience along the way. Do it the right way. Do it the right way, too. Don't forget doing it the right way. That's uh, I, I, I think in a lot of things and, and my dogs and everything and and I can honestly say that from day one 
to this day right now, I've never done anything to my dogs that was illegal cheating or anything. And, and like I told Tommy years ago, years and years ago, uh, we would go, you know, and as they say, I, I lost a whole lot. I lost a lot more than I ever won. And I would, Tommy, you know, and, and he had a tendency to, to, and I do too, I still do, to, to complain about the judging or the, the venue, where it was at and all that. I said, Tommy, we're coming back from somewhere one night. I said, you know why we lost? No, why? And he, you know, we weren't good enough. That's why we lost, Tommy. And and don't give me the excuses that so-and-so, um, you know, I, I, I just, don't want to hear it. I don't. I don't want to hear it. And and you know, I we've left out a, a friend here that I don't want to leave out because Lisa uh, Hunsinger is one of my dearest friends. Twenty years we've had dogs together, and all of her dogs go back to to some way to Rowdy and Candy. And I buy something she wanted to do. It just worked out that way, I guess. You know, Sadie was a grandpup of, of Rowdy and Candy, and then Willie's out of city and. Uh, other dogs and 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 Lisa is up there with David and and Johnny and them. Uh, she's not in the circle because she lives in Illinois. She's not here close by, things like that. But to 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 just a person that does everything right and and just a friend. I mean, we 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 don't. She's helped so many people with dogs. Uh, in the last 20 years or so, especially show dogs. And, and, and we get on into to, to the competition part. Willie has a brother that's a dual grand, a grand knight. So he's not far off the line that he could have been a coon dog too. Yeah. Know? But these, well, these kids, these kids coming up just need, uh, uh I was, uh, <laughs> we were at the youth world over in Tennessee. You were with AKC at the time. And, and, Tommy was staying across the road at another motel from us, and he had the high rise, the big expensive one. We didn't have that kind of money, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was like five o'clock in the morning. He's beating on my door, Shirley and I, and JT, my grandson, and he said, uh, "Can you take care of Lauren?" He said, "My wife is is in the hospital having a baby in South Carolina." I said, yeah. So we took Lauren, and she went to sleep. You know, it's early there, and the rest of the morning. So, what are we going to do to four or five o'clock? I think I did a seminar or something at work. You so did. You we did. We took those two kids down to um, uh, uh, Pigeon Forge. Yeah. And all they want to do is ride the go karts. It's five dollars piece every time to ride a go kart. <laughs> Tommy still owes me two or three hundred dollars <laughs> for entertainment for his kids. <laughs> Uh, and and but to to go on, there, someone posted a picture back then on the message board for UKC of of, uh, of, of Little Bell, the one that my dog that Lauren was showing. And you know how people take the pictures of dogs when you jump up on the bench. She wasn't set up; she was twisted all up and things. And this one lady, particular uh, from another state, come on the message board, and that dog won the youth world. Well, Steve, the next year, she wasn't there. So the next year, the you had the, the world there at the same place, and Lauren had her. 
getting ready for the show. This very same lady, this is how I had some kids with her, brought them up to the show. <clears throat> said, my goodness, isn't that a beautiful dog? And you know me in my mouth what I had to say. I said, yes, ma'am, that's the one you put down last year for winning the show. Sir. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That's not, don't, you know, uh, these yeah. are kids. Don't well, be. Uh, the, the, I mean, the internet, the internet's God, a perfect else? place. The internet's a perfect place for everybody to have license to, to weigh in with their it's opinion. And I, I really think we'd be a lot better off if, if, uh, for one thing, when it comes to the youth hunt, it's about the kids. It's not about who wins it or, you know, sure. It, sure. if, if I won, if, if one of my kids took a youth or took one of my hounds or any kid took one of my hounds and won a youth hunt, I would hope that I would celebrate the success of the youth and not use it as an opportunity to promote my dog. That's not what it's about. So, well, yeah, I, I, uh, when Austin, uh, uh, when Coop got big enough to show Coop was a open dog and, and uh, uh, Austin, I don't get to show him Austin shows him and, and loves him. And, 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 and the, I call him Cooperton's his name. He's a beautiful young dog. It's gorgeous. And he won best metal show at Southeastern. He couldn't have been with about 12. Yeah, well, he was three years old when he was 12 or 13. I was more excited than I won Autumn's Oak or the world to see my grandson with his own dog, he claims, since he's here in my house, <laughs> and, and to win. I, I would I called Shirley's grandmother, I said, Austin, he, she said, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did, you know. <laughs> and that's success right there. That is success yeah. totally, you know. Well, Lee, that's what that. are you doing with your time these days with your dogs, and what's your, what's your going talking forward? I know. Old, talking talking to two old guys in Florida on the phone about hound dogs, I guess. <laughs> well, Chris is in Indiana. So. <laughs> oh, it is. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, well, we That's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry about I, it. I, I, I do. I do. Still, I do. Still, I still have a part-time job. I work at the Connected Southern Toll Road here. I've been there for almost 20 years, I guess, since they opened the road up. But I only work part-time when they need help. And and, uh, and and Shirley is totally retired. Uh, you know, she had the floors for 32 years here in town, and uh, we sold it. She sold it last December, and, and uh, she reads a lot. I, I've i got five or six acres here I have to maintain, and 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 everything is slower as you get older. I just built a dog, a new kennel, uh, finished it up last night, as a matter of fact, for my new puppy. And, you know, we eat out a lot. We just talk, you know, for grandkids, have a family over. I guess about like everybody else when they're retired. I'm not very, very good at being retired. I don't know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> well, how old, how old are you now, Lee? I'll be 81 in August. That's awesome. It's 81, and I don't ever remember but two days in my life I didn't have access to some kind of hound dog and that's when i sold bell and, and the banjo dog i, I don't ever rem- i've never been without one and what would yeah, you trade what would you change about your life over the years with nothing. these nothing 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 i, I don't know if anything going to change up i i i steve it's it's a wonderful sad feeling my wife had gotten some pain medicine here she's having some 
some issues and, and, and kidney infections, and they gave her some pain medicine, and she's had them for now for quite a while. So back four or five months ago, I came in, you know, I've had surgery on my, a nerve in my leg, and she said, why don't you take one of my pills? Well, give me one of them. She gave them their 7.0-something, whatever they are, names of them. And I dreamed all night, and most everything I dreamed about was coon hunting. Times I hunted or, or playing ball with the kids all night long. So it went on about it, and I thought, oh, it's just coincidence. So sometime two or three months later, she gave me another one, and I did the same thing. So that's a thing to your, your subconscious mind takes you back to, so you must have enjoyed it quite a bit, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, Chris, yeah, that's I mean, all I've got for our guests today. I, uh, man, it's been great catching up. Of course, Lee and I talk quite often, and, uh, uh, you know, and it, 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 that's the way it is with your close friends. But, uh, Lee, it's been a great visit. Chris, what do you got, buddy? I'll tell you what. I, I've just sat here and listened to all of it. A lot of it I can relate to. Um, you know, the excitement of going to those breed days back in the 80s. I just couldn't spend enough time there. I remember when Walker days came to Bartholomew County or Columbus, Indiana, and, and our club hosted that event or was a partial host or how I can't, I was remember, there. can't even remember it, but, uh, you know, how, how, how it was, uh, uh, being managed, but, uh, I was just on cloud nine. I, I spent, I've, and I didn't even have a driver's license. So I was bumming rides. Yeah. I was hitching rides. I was doing whatever I could to get to the fairgrounds that were on the other side of town for Walker days when it was there. And it was just every breed days has been like that for me over the years. Going to the big events, we try, we would go to, to um, events all over the country. So, yeah, I, it, it was so much fun. Black and tan days, the list goes on. But you know, one of the things that um, I've enjoyed hearing from you lee is in my opinion the people that i admire most and the people that um have been the most successful and have the best stories to tell in this lifestyle are the ones who invested in other people they were good family men they had they they provided for their families and but they were successful in everything they did and 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 when you're successful in the important things in life then the success with your hounds is going to just naturally happen because it's in the right place and it's in the right priority and and the stuff you've done for mentoring kids i mean it just goes on and on and on it's all examples of what we need and we've talked about this before too lee i'm glad to hear that at 81 you're still heavily involved too many times i know people who get to that age where they have trouble walking or they 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 don't feel like they can contribute they just hang it up and they they kind of ride off into the sunset but guys like you have so much to offer our hound hunting community and i'm glad you're willing to come on and tell your story and and i'm glad you're involved and it's been a pleasure i just kind of sat back and listened oh, wow. it was just one of those podcasts where i just need to sit back and listen so now i i i i looked at everything this way i'm i'm a competitor and, and I am a freak at winning. I, I don't take second place or third place easy, but I don't show it. I don't think Steve's ever heard me complain about one show or one hunt or anything. I, I store it in my mind if I didn't like the things. But, uh, you know, there's some things that I came up. I've told Steve some of these things, and 
over the years. You know, John Mooden, uh, you know, he said one time and, and that winning is easy, but the will to prepare to win is hard. Yes. And, and that's the whole thing. If you're prepared to win, you'll win. That's right. And preparing to win with hounds starts with breeding from like this puppy I got coming. We're all excited about Lisa. Just talk to me on, well, text me that we're going to have a load, you know. Uh, uh, and and then it, it's uh, another thing that people, kids, especially if they listen, or young people and everything. And I told Steve this, my high school coach one time when I was, a, I guess, a freshman, he said, losers practice till they get it right. And I thought, well, how dumb. If you got it right, you're a winner. And then when we started the season, he told us, winners practice till they can't do it wrong. Mm. And that's the difference between winning and losing so many times. It, it, you know, uh, it's not easy. Winning is the hardest thing in life. You can do winning in school. You know, you start out in competition with your classmates who made the best grades and things like that. It's always about competition. <laughs> well, I never did either, but you wanted to. You, you didn't have the. That was the, the, the lack of will to prepare to win. There. That's right. I was I was the <laughs> poster what... child for that. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah, me too, for sure. <laughs> I wanted the grades, yeah, yeah, but I didn't want to do the work. That's, that's that right. wasn't part. Yeah, of you didn't do the will. You didn't have the will to prepare to win. Then that's right. Yep, yep. Those, those guys, I really later. appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate it, and I don't know I've rattled and and I know you'll cut out what you don't want the bad words and everything. And 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 I, <laughs> I I'm not a person any. that cusses a lot. Cusses a lot or nothing. Well, we I, did I know good. you. See, you we did good. Steve, you probably you... heard of Dabo Sweeney. I say you probably heard of Dabo Sweeney, uh, the coach at Clemson here. Yeah. You know he's a real religious guy. Well, he hired one of his players when he first started as a receiver coach, and they were re they were interviewing the the receiver the coach here with a new job is his first job. And he said, well, coach Sweeney's got a lot of strict things. He said, he says you can't, cannot cuss, but you can use ass and damn because they're both in the Bible. Yeah. So <laughs> I can use those two, according to my, my famous mentor here, Devo Sweeney. <laughs> they're in the Bible. But right. it's been great, guys, and I, I hope I haven't rambled too much. And uh, there's so much more you could go on with. I could go on for weeks and weeks. And yeah, well, you've got I a, life, had you've got a lifetime invested. That's for sure. We'll I, have I to have you back sometime. I haven't had one hunt in sixty-five years, you know, and 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 also being able to hunt with all the people that I have uh, over the years, some famous, some not so famous. Uh, we left out one of my best friends in the world, Harold Kay, who, since I moved here, been my number one hunting partner uh, that lives here close to me. And uh, if he happens to listen, his daughter might pick this stuff. He still owes me 10 pieces of metal roofing. <laughs> so... <laughs> to go on my barn <laughs> well, steve you want to you want to wrap this thing up yeah 
Chris, it's been, and thank you for indulging Lee and me to get together and just talk about old times and, and all. And uh, Lee, we have a, a saying here, and it kind of goes along with what you've done down through your career with your own dogs, your Kentucky River dogs. And, and uh, Chris has had his lines of, of dogs, and, and we all do. There was an expression that came out of West Virginia from a bear hunter there that says, boys, when we get this track started here in a few minutes, you follow your hound and I'll follow mine.